Welcome to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast. I take the sting out of divorce. This is your host, Emily Sanchez. Hey, everybody. I hope you're having an awesome day. This is Emily Sanchez, the divorce, the divorce coach. I'm here with Kevin Jensen. He is a top-rated Arizona family law attorney, and I'm just so grateful to have him here. We're going to ask some questions and Not only is he a great attorney, but he's just an awesome person. He's a good person, somebody that you can trust. So, Kevin, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. That's a lot to live up to. I hope I, uh, <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint. I don't think you will. I, there's so many people that are waiting to hear the answers to these questions. So these questions are real. They're from people who are my clients, people in the support group, and and other friends and people that are anxious to hear your answers and need a little bit of direction as they're starting divorce out. So I'm basically going to just ask these questions and let Kevin take it away. So number one, what are the five must-dos in the divorce process? That's a, that's a good question, and it's a kind of a tough question because I kind of consider divorce cases, this, this sounds a little bit cheesy, but I, I think of divorce cases a little bit like snowflakes in that Every divorce case is a little bit different. And of so, course, yeah. you know, the, the five must-dos in one case may be a lot different than the five must-dos in another. But I do think there are a few a few things that we can talk about that I think are really important for people going through the divorce process to do. The first answer is probably not going to be a big, big surprise to you. Get a lawyer? Get a lawyer. <laughs> <clears throat> and I know that that sounds probably like a sales pitch or something like that, but I cannot tell you how many times in the almost 19 years that I've been practicing law, that I have someone come into my office six or 12 months after their divorce. They've done it on their own because, yes. you know, I don't want to have a big fight. We didn't want to use lawyers. That's what I always hear. And they say, can you take a look at this? This isn't going the way I thought it would, or we didn't deal with this, or we didn't do that. And I look at it, and some things you can fix, but there's a lot of things that you can never fix. Yeah. And just as a quick example, I'll, I'll tell you, because this comes up a lot of times, especially with, with women clients, is that, for example, if you waive spousal support at the beginning of the case, you can't go back and get it again. Okay. So, you know, I, I've, I've had a lot of women who have come in, you know, and their husbands have talked them into, oh, you don't need spousal maintenance. Mm-hmm. And so they'll waive it because they're just trying to be nice, trying to do it without a lot of fighting, don't want to spend money on attorneys. And, but then they realize, I can't get by on what I'm making. And I look at them and, and I tell them, there is literally nothing I can do about that. That's a big one. So getting a lawyer, you know, it, now do I think there are some cases that you don't need a lawyer? Yes. Mm-hmm. If it's a short marriage and you don't have kids and you don't have any assets at all, you don't need to hire me. Easy. Okay. You don't need to hire a lawyer because there's not a whole lot to divide and you don't have to deal with kids stuff. But if you have kids... If you have a house, if you have vehicles, if you have, you know, if your husband has a retirement account, mm-hmm. you need a lawyer. You really do. Okay. So that's the first, no big surprise, mm-hmm. you know, must in every case. Right. Um, here's another one that comes up a lot to me is, is I'm surprised how many people come into my office and, and, and I'm, I'm thinking of mostly about women clients and I think you deal Mostly primarily with, with female yes. clients, is yes. that correct? Yeah. So I think a lot of my answers are going to be directed toward okay. toward fine. females, if that's okay. That's fine. Men, okay. don't feel left out. Don't feel left Put out. Put yourself in it. 
Um, but this still applies. But but understand your finances and what your assets are. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of, of of potential clients who come in and you know and and I'm trying to understand their case so I can give them the best legal advice you know that I can. How much money does your husband make? You know, how much money do you have in the bank? Is there a retirement account? Do you own any any other assets? And they'll look at me and say, I don't know. Oh. You know, now can we as lawyers do something to try to dig into that and get and, and get that information? Sure. We absolutely can. But it's, here's why I think it's really important for people to understand their finances. One of the big questions that comes up in every divorce case, well not every, but most divorce cases, is support. Mm-hmm. And I always ask I always ask my clients, um, you know, do you have any idea of what you're going to need to survive on? Because you're going from, you know, in some cases, a, you know, a one-income household to now you're, you know, to a no-income household, and you're going to be relying on your husband to pay for some of those expenses. So I think understanding what your finances are as best you can, be involved mm-hmm. in your finances in your marriage and understand yeah. what your what your debt load is and what your you know what what assets you may have. I think it's just really helpful to understand yeah, get that. Get the plan going. Cuz cuz one of the questions that always comes up, you know, that comes up frequently is I think my husband's hiding something from me. Right. Or guys, sometimes I right. even hear right. I think my wife's hiding something She's from me. taking the money, put it in another account already. Right, you know, exactly. And I'll ask, "Well, what do you think they're hiding?" I I don't know. Okay, well, how do I go find something that I don't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the more you know about your finances, I think the better off you are when you start this process. All right, let me give you another, um, what I think is a must, uh, and especially for for women. And it's funny because you and I were just talking about this before we came on, mm-hmm. um, about a particular judge yes. who is a bit stingy when it comes to spousal maintenance. Yes. Um, one thing that I think is really important is to have a plan. Uh, you know, you get married, you never think you're going to, you know, most people don't think they're going to be sitting in an attorney's office or going through an ugly divorce. Never. And, and Emily, you've been through that yeah. yourself. I am guessing that in your yeah. first marriage, you never thought you would. No, of course not. Right, exactly. It's not your intention. It's not your intention. <laughs> you don't think about those things. But the problem is, is that when you are in that position, you know, that's not the time to bury your head in the sand. Right. And one of the best things that you can do, and whether it's a, a woman or a man, is have a game plan. Mm-hmm. All right, now I'm not going to have my husband or my wife or their income. What am I going to do? Right. You know, have a plan as far as am I going to go back to school? What kind of a job am I qualified to get? Um, who's going to help me, you know, watch the kids? You know, it, judges really like to hear, especially from people who ask for spousal maintenance, what their game plan is, and that can go actually a really long ways mm-hmm. in convincing a judge that this person might need spousal maintenance and for how long. So, for example, if your game plan is, hey, I started you know, to become a dental hygienist before I got married and I gave that up, well, what would it take for you to go back and finish that program so that you can get a job as a dental hygienist? Maybe it's three years and it's going to cost yes. $25,000. That's a great thing to tell a judge if you end up going to court because I think judges will look at that and say, okay, that's reasonable because that's going to allow that person to put themselves in a position to take care of themselves. 
and not relying on husband or wife or whatever the case may be. Yes. Oh, I love that. So it's a tough one because nobody wants to think about making, you know, coming up with a plan at that stage, but I think it's a really, really important one. Mm -hmm. Okay, next suggestion, and this is kind of generic, but and one of one of the hardest jobs I have as an attorney is to convince my clients to be reasonable. <laughs> I know it. It's tough to do because you're mad, there's a lot of emotion involved. But the reality of it of the of the situation is is that when you get divorced, the judges don't care about your emotions. They don't. Right. That's the reality. And this by the way, this is another good reason to have an attorney. Mm -hmm. I think good divorce attorneys are people who are going to be compassionate and understanding. And, and sometimes even be a shoulder to cry on. And I've been a shoulder to cry on many, 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 many times. And I'm uh, perfectly okay with that. But it's also my job to be realistic with my clients. Mm -hmm. So if I have a mom who comes in and says, I, my, I only want my husband to see the kids, you know, every other weekend. And we look at their situation. I may say, I know that you would like that to be the case. But the reality is, is that Arizona law probably isn't going to allow that to happen. Right. Or I want $5,000 a month in support, and we look at the finances, that's probably not realistic. So it's really important, I think, early on, and I think an attorney can help you do this, to set your expectations in a reasonable, you know, in a reasonable manner. Understand, this is, again, why an attorney is really helpful, because they can help you understand what the realities of the law are. Right. You know, attorneys, good attorneys in my opinion, aren't the guys who can go into court and and spin wonderful arguments. They're guys who can, and women, who can explain and educate their clients on what the law allows and, and help, them, help their clients pursue realistic outcomes. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who come in with unrealistic outcomes. Now, there's a danger to that in Arizona. If a judge feels like someone is being really unrealistic or unreasonable in a case and asking for something that you know, that they know better than asking for, a judge can actually order that person to pay the other side's attorney fees. So there are actually negative incentives for for not being reasonable. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it makes sense why you would need an attorney, especially if you start out super unreasonable. <laughs> Someone who knows the law. Well, it's just understanding, I think, what the law is, becoming a little educated on on what you can realistically expect yeah. in, in the divorce. Yes. Yeah, lowering those expectations, sometimes, unfortunately. But sometimes, you know what, there's even cases where you, you raise the expectations. Right, right. You know, I have, I've had lots of women come in and think, oh, you know, my husband's it's told me there's no everything. way I'm going to get spousal support or anything like that. And I'm like, hang on, whoa, right. whoa, whoa, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Great point. Great we, need point. To, we need to raise your expectations. And, and, you know, so understand, this is why I think consulting with an attorney is really important. All right, let me give you kind of one last, I think, uh, to do. And this really doesn't have much to do with the legal side of it as much as it has to do with the personal side of it. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really overlooked part of divorce. And actually, this is where I think you come in, Yay. Emily. Um, I think a lot of people, in my, in my opinion, and I tell most of my prospective divorce clients that I think it's a really good idea if they go and get some sort of counseling mm -hmm. or therapy or mm -hmm. something to help them get through this divorce. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, when they're going through divorce, they just feel like they're alone in the world. Yes. Their, their worlds come crashing down on them. They're scared. They don't know what to expect. Um, and 
although I think sometimes we attorneys become sort of counselors. Yes. <laughs> we're really not. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I mean, I've, I've done this long enough that I think I can spot someone who's depressed mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, but you need mm-hmm. real professional help mm-hmm. for that. And that can come in a lot of forms. I think a lot of your clients are LDS. I think mm-hmm. one good resource to start mm-hmm. with is just going and, and talking to an ecclesiastical leader. Right. But, uh, 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 you know, there's plenty of therapists out there who, mm-hmm. who specialize in dealing with divorce. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I'd like to add to that is, and this is a little tougher to do, mm-hmm. is if you can get your kids into some sort of oh, counseling yes. or therapy, yes. it's really helpful. But it's a, there, there's a little bit of a problem with that because once you start the divorce process, judges sort of expect parents to make that decision together. So it's really yes. got to be a decision between both parents. It's really not allowed for you to just take your kids and start giving them counseling. That's one of those things that you you should talk to the other mm-hmm. other parent about. But, boy, if there's a way you can, even in one or two sessions, mm-hmm. I think kids get so overlooked in this aspect mm-hmm. of, of, of these cases. And, candidly, from a legal standpoint, there's not much that we attorneys can do about that. Mm-hmm. Or judges, for that matter, because there's a lot of case law out there that says, hey, parents, you know what's best for your kids. Mm-hmm. You're in the best position to make those decisions. So... But if you can find a way to get your kids in, I think that would help a lot. Yes. And uh, I'm so glad that you said that because that was the whole reason why I started doing what I was doing is because when I was going through that, I always thought, do I need a counselor? Do I need to see someone? I just wanted to talk to somebody, but I felt like there wasn't that fit. And so that's what I'm trying to do and offer to my clients. So thanks so much for saying that. Huge, huge, huge part of this. It just helps you get in. I think it helps the the person going through the divorce get in a better place mentally. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I need my clients to be ready to fight a little bit. Yes. And not be wilting flowers, you know. Mm-hmm. I really do. Sometimes I need them to go the other way, but Yes. But, you know, it's it's a life change, you know, yep. especially if you've been married for a long time. Oh, or yeah. or especially if you're LDS and, and and there's a, you know, a different understanding or belief about marriage you know it's it's a tough thing to go through yep for sure and getting some some professional help is always a very good thing to do very very true so my second question is the five must don'ts so okay i, I guess we could go back and say opposite of all the kind, five must do's yeah kind but of what, what do you think? maybe i can just add a couple things because okay. it is a little bit of that okay um and i kind of brought this up in the beginning one of the first things that i said is don't do your divorce on your own, right? <laughs> especially right. if you have kids or assets. And I think I talked a little bit about that already. Yeah. You know, the downfall of that is just that y- you're trying to play nice, you're trying to save money, and the reality is, is I've had cases where people had huge businesses or lots of assets, and one spouse, usually the husband, you know, talks the other spouse into a really one-sided deal, and there's not that much you can modify later mm-hmm. on. Okay. And so if you don't do it, you, you really do kind of get one bite at the apple when it comes to divorce. That's scary. So saving <laughs> saving a few thousand dollars at the expense of what could in some cases be tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars when it comes to assets or support, it's just not a good trade-off. So, so that's my first don't is don't do it on your own unless it's one of those you know, really rare cases where there's no kids, it's a short marriage, and you don't have any property. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of goes along with the financial thing. One thing you just can't do when you start your divorce process is you can't just get ticked off of your spouse and start taking them off things like health insurance, 
bank accounts, credit cards. That's, that's actually against the law. Okay. When somebody files for divorce in Arizona, there's an automatic injunction that's put in place. Nobody has to ask for it. It's automatic. And it really lists what you can and can't do. And where a lot of people get in a lot of trouble early on in cases, and this has been, I've seen both men and women do this, is they get ticked off. Well, I'm filing for divorce. Um, I don't want to keep paying for health insurance for my spouse. And so they go down to their HR department and they remove their spouse from the health insurance. And now the divorce is still pending. Mm -hmm. Your divorce isn't final. Mm -hmm. And now you have a spouse who's left without health insurance and they go and, you know, like me, break my leg. Right. And how do they pay for it? And so what ends up happening is it costs them a lot more money because now we got to go litigate that issue. So everything is supposed to stay status quo until either the parties come to an agreement on how to resolve some of these issues or until a judge makes a decision. Okay. So don't go taking your spouse off of bank accounts and things like that. Um, this is another one dealing with kids. And I see this a lot. Um, and this, this actually applies more to women than to men. But but don't withhold your children from the other parent. That's a follow-up question I have. So <laughs> yeah. why don't you go ahead okay. and, and answer it? My question was, is there a way to prevent parental alienation yeah that's this happens a lot it happens a ton in these cases unfortunately i was talking about you know how kids i think sometimes get a little bit forgotten in these cases you know in in the context of counseling but they get they get used as pawns all too often in these cases and i try really really hard in in my practice to avoid those type of games with my clients in fact if i have a client who i feel is is withholding the children improperly um, or or talking bad about the other parent, I'm pretty straight up with them, and I'll tell them, look, you're, it's a dangerous game, and if you get to the point that we're in front of a judge and the judge buys you know, the other side's story on this, you may lose your kids. In fact, let me give you a quick sidetrack story. Is that okay if I tell That's a, fine. a Let's little hear war the story? Let's hear it. So a little quick war story is I had a case where um, I represented the father and the mom, just constantly accused him of abusing the child. I mean, the most horrific type of abuse that you can imagine. Not just physical, but sexual. Yes, I've I mean, seen that. I mean, horrible yes. stuff. Yes. Stuff that I don't even think I could make up if I sat down and thought about it. Yeah. And and she would call DCS, and she would call the police, and they would come out because they have to when those sorts of reports are made, and they would investigate, and no findings. Mm-hmm. And this woman got to the point that she was taking the child down to the the police and asking them to do forensic examinations i mean it was horrible i mean my guy was getting knocks on the door from the police or dcs two and three times a a, a month it was crazy so finally and and this is a good example of alienation right she's telling this little boy your dad's abusing you Mm -hmm. taking him to the police all kinds of horrible things so we finally we filed a, a, a petition to modify and the thing one of the things we asked the court to do is remove the child from mother's home give dad sole legal decision-making, and mom supervised visitation. Mm-hmm. And we had had a previous trial where the judge had warned her, because we brought it up at the previous trial, that if she kept doing that, that she may be facing losing her child. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it took us having to go back to court again, but the judge did remove the child from mom's home, and she had supervised visitation. And, and so it's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. So um, how do you prevent it? That's a hard question for me to answer. I don't know really if there is a good answer to do that. Document everything. If you have a spouse who is is prone to accusing you of abuse or 
or uh, you know talking bad about you, documenting you know those incidents are probably the best thing you can do because the reality is is the only way that you're ever going to really stop it is probably going back to court and asking the judge to modify. And I'll give most of our judges here in Maricopa County credit that you know they they, they do take that pretty seriously. They do, um, but they do require a lot of evidence, and it can be okay. police reports, it can be DCS reports, it can be text messages. I mean, okay. I've, I've seen text messages from parents that, you know, would make you blush. I mean, they're right. terrible, you know. Right. Um, don't use your kids, by the way, as a messenger between, oh. between, between you know, yeah. you and your ex. Yep. That's a, <laughs> judges hate it. Right. And, and, and you, this must be something you've we, talked to people yeah, about or you've dealt with. I talk with. to it all, all the time, and I even have a podcast about communicating yes. with your spouse and your children. But back real quick, there's in one of my support groups, the situation right now going on where her soon-to-be ex, so they're not divorced yet, will not give her, and it's like a two-year-old or something, her little daughter. Withholding the child? Yeah, she, he's just, no, you can't see her. And, and can so you tell me about needs, why? What what is excuse for not? See now, I don't I don't know all the backstory. It's okay. a Facebook support well, group, you know. But should she just? Well, let me tell you what I would do if if this particular person came into my office. Um, first of all, I'd ask, show me any communication you've had between you and your spouse or soon to be ex or whatever it is. You know, I want to know why he's saying you can't see the two year old. Right. Um, because in most cases, there's going to be some Something. sort of communication. Now, the, the excuse may be stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think you're responsible up to, uh, I think you're doing heroin. You know, I mean, all, you know, all the garbage gets thrown against the wall in these cases, and so all kinds of excuses come out. But really what you have to do in a case like that is you have to have an attorney, or you can do it on your own, but again, I don't advise that. You have to get in front of your judge as quick as possible and say, I want some temporary orders. You okay. should not be withholding a child from the other parent unless, and I was going to add this unless, unless you have real and serious concerns about abuse or that the other parent is unfit. So if you okay. know that your ex is literally shooting up heroin and right. you know doing those kind of things, I think that's a legit reason to withhold the child. But even then, I would consult with an attorney, and I would probably proactively file something with the court so you can get a court order saying, this child's not to be around that parent. Okay. Because if a judge thinks that you're improperly withholding a child, it can really backfire. Okay. It can really backfire. So I don't know. Did that answer your no, question? No, it did. It did. She okay. just needs to document everything, get in front of a judge quick. That's what I would do. I would, I would, okay. if she's got an attorney, go talk to the attorney and say, how come we haven't filed something right, right. with the judge? I mean, you shouldn't be begging to see your children. Okay. Um, assuming everything is okay on their side of the uh, of the fence. Does that make sense? Yes. So back to a couple more mistakes, common mistakes. Okay. The um, one other, so let me just add one more. And this okay. is, this is a little bit, this is probably covering something we've covered a lot, but again, don't make any agreements without consulting with an attorney. Um, again, people trying to be nice, trying to do it without attorneys, trying to save money. Guess what they do, Emily? They make mistakes. They, they make mistakes and they make <laughs> stupid, stupid deals because they're just trying to be nice. And that sounds really cruel for me to say it that way. Family members of mine. Uh, they've been through that? I'll just say family members. Yeah, okay. not say who it is. <laughs> yeah, we can talk offline. Yes. I'm just kidding. 
But but the the problem is is that you're stuck. You're stuck, and it's yeah. really hard to get out. There are there are things that you can modify. You know, parenting parenting time and and child related things can sometimes be modified. And I think we're going to talk about that yeah. in a little bit. You know, support things can be modified. But when you when you make agreements on things like spousal maintenance, division of assets, division of debts, you know, those are permanent and hard to get out of. They're really really hard to get out of. Now I've you know, I've pulled a few rabbits out of a hat, but I would never tell a client count on it. Okay. So if, if you and your spouse have come to an agreement or you think you've come to an agreement, even if you're only going to spend a couple hundred bucks to go have an attorney review it, go spend that money so that someone who knows what they're talking about can tell you whether that deal is good or bad. I've had people come and do that, and I'll look at them and say, I wouldn't sign this for anything and they'll still go do it but at least i feel like they're doing it with their eyes wide open exactly you need to think of it as a long-term investment yep so let's move on a little bit okay i really like this question because i'm a detailed person so the question is how detailed can you get in a divorce decree how detailed can you get in a parenting plan so these are the types of questions i get i get like for example um, you know, I work with a lot of LDS people. Mm-hmm. They're worried that the father's not going to take them to church. Mm-hmm. Can you write in there that you are to take them to church or, or whatever the denomination they are? I want them to go to church or they go to my church or there's just so many things. Technology. Yeah. Can we put technology in there? When they're going to get a cell phone, how often they're going to be on their screens, you know? And, and then the other thing, just to add a little bit more, a lot of women are worried about their partner bringing women over, spending the night, guests, not even women, women, maybe a male roommate, and their children are at you know their ex's house. So how detailed can we really, get? Really, really good question. Actually, I'm glad you asked this question because not enough people ask this. Um, okay, so there's really kind of two answers to this. Parenting plans and, and divorce decrees can be super detailed. I've put tons and tons of detail in in parenting plans. I mean, some couples are just able to sit down and literally plan out everything. And I think that's a really good thing because really what especially a parenting plan is is supposed to be is guidelines for you guys. It's really supposed to be a dispute resolution tool. That's really what it's supposed to be at the end of the day. Now, in fact, I've even heard some judges say, look, I'm going to sign this, this parenting plan, this divorce decree. And here's what I hope you guys do. I hope you guys go out and I hope you guys communicate really well with each other. And if it's necessary not to follow this, I hope you actually don't follow it, but you do what's best for your kids. But if you guys ever get to a point that you just can't come to an agreement, this is what you fall back on. Go back on And so you can be as detailed as you want, but here's the catch, especially with what I'm going to call a consent decree, which is an agreement between the parties versus going to court and getting the court to decide – um, anything you put in that decree has to be agreed upon by both parties or, or it's not, not going to be signed. Right. So for I'm going to use the church example, okay, because okay. this one does come up a lot. I, I, I represent a lot of LDS people. I represent people of other faiths, and this comes up in all kinds of denominations. You know, mm-hmm. I have couples who are super religious and not religious at all. What do you do in that situation? Um, you can be creative, I've had I've had situations, and, and I'll be specific to the LDS faith because you brought this up, where uh, one of the spouses has just decided I'm not going to church anymore, and but the, but that spouse was willing to agree 
to allow the other spouse to come and pick the kids up, take them to church, and then take them back to the other spouse's house after church. Mm-hmm. If they're willing to agree to that, that can absolutely go into, into the agreement. Yes. I've, I've seen a few judges do something like that, but it's a little more rare if you go to court for a judge to do that. What a judge will typically do in that situation will say, um, here's how we're going to do this. Um, I'm not going to get in the middle of your religious decisions, um, but mom, when you have the kids on your weekend, they go to your church of your choice, and dad... When they're with you on your weekend, they go to the church of your choice. Dad, if you decide you don't want to go to church, or Mom, if you decide you don't want to go to church and are willing to allow the other parent to take them, that's great. Mm -hmm. But they're not usually going to... Judges usually aren't going to put that language in there. Okay. It doesn't mean you can't ask for it. I have seen a few cases where judges have allowed that. But you're a lot better off sitting down with the spouse and saying, look, you know, if... if, uh, you know, I've, I've I've had two perfectly active LDS people sit down and say we agree in their decree that the children will be raised LDS and each parent will take the children to church on their weekends. And if the other parent can't, then the other parent will have the option to take them. So you can be as as creative and descriptive as you want, and that goes for every aspect of your parenting plan. Um, electronics, you can put you can you can put something in your decree that says that. We agree there's no cell phone for the kids until they're 14 or whatever age is appropriate. If you agree. Right. If you don't agree, it's then... about the agreement. Yeah, and if you don't agree, then you're left to go into court and hoping the judge will side with you. But I'll tell you, when it comes to electronics, since you brought that up, judges don't want to get involved in it. They, they just don't. And so I have tons and tons of cases where mom will buy a cell phone for the kid and dad thinks it's horrible. And, mm-hmm. and I will tell you... I have people spend a lot of money on attorneys post-divorce fighting over electronics for kids. I know. I see it. And I think it's silly, by the way. I think you're better off trying to come to an agreement. But, you know, we we go to court sometimes in that. But judges just won't get involved. They'll say, well, I guess the kid can have the phone at dad's house when dad's got parenting time. And, you know, but dad, you still have to give the phone number to mom. And mom, you're allowed to call on that cell phone. I mean, it's a mess. Right, right. Oh. I don't know if that answered that question, but in general, you can be very, very descriptive on anything. Oh, one other one that you brought up is what about, you know, significant others that come into play? Yes. Uh, that's a tough one. Yeah. I have had cases where the parties agreed, and again, I keep highlighting where they agreed that before um, the children are introduced to a new significant other, that the parties will agree that they'll introduce them to the other, you know, to the ex-spouse um, or put whatever other rules they think are appropriate in place. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can get your, if you can get your spouse, you know, your soon-to-be ex-spouse to agree to that, great. If you go to court, I'll tell you how it, how it turns out almost every single time. <laughs> they don't care. They don't care. <laughs> the judges will say, Dad, I'm going to trust that you're not going to expose your children to inappropriate people. Mom, I'm going to trust that you're not going to expose your children to inappropriate people. I'm not going to tell you when, where, and how that can happen. That's up to you guys. You're the parents. But if, you know, if either parent comes back to me and complains that, you know, dad's dating a a heroin addict and they're selling drugs out of the house, then, you know, that's going to probably have an impact on parenting time down the road. So if you leave it up to the judge, that's what you're going to get almost every single time. So the key to this question, Emily, Mm -hmm. is... You can be super, 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 super descriptive and have all kinds of rules that you... And remember, any rule that you put in your decree 
goes both ways. It might sound really good because you're pointing it toward your ex, <laughs> yeah. but you're going to have a situation that comes up later on that you're going to be like, oh, oh, that applies to me too. Right. So you got to kind of think it through that way, but it's all very dependent on you guys agreeing to those rules. Otherwise, judges are pretty generic. Right. And so basically you might as well. You might as well list all your concerns. You might yep. as well be as detailed as you can. And if you can agree on it, yay. I, you know, I, just a you really might quick, as well. I had a, a recent one. This was kind of funny. Where the, the husband was a, a pilot, you know, not a commercial pilot, kind of a hobby pilot. And the wife absolutely did not trust him as a pilot, just scared to death. And so we came up with a rule in their decree that says that he can never take the children up in the family's airplane unless his brothers who she thought were better pilots were with them oh wow and she gave permission that's funny and i looked at my client i said i would never agree to that and he says i don't care i'll, I'll agree to it so that's part of their rules okay so yeah. if yeah, he ever he wants to go know. flying with his kids he's got hoops to jump through that is awesome <laughs> that's awesome i love it okay on to the next one and i really think that you answered this so we can make it quick. okay it's just the general how can you make divorce less messy be reasonable yeah the reasonable <laughs> the use the attorney the yep. try to degree you know do the detailed thing up front and see what you agree on yeah. you know those type of things i'll tell you what my strategy is in most divorce cases is once once we file all the initial nasty paperwork that nobody likes um I, i'll usually have a pretty decent checklist of stuff i want my client to gather information wise and then I'll usually set an appointment within a few weeks for my client to come and sit down. And the purpose of that is twofold. One, I want to get the full story of what's, you know, what's gonna, what are going to be the issues in their divorce. But I like to, I like to map out a settlement proposal very early on in the case. Let's talk about, based on what you've given me, let's talk about what a reasonable settlement offer would be here. Um, because I want my client to think settlement early on. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why, what judges say to people all the time. They will say, you know, you guys really need to figure out how to settle this because if you don't, someone who doesn't know you, someone who we'll doesn't know your kids, which is you. me, me in the black robe, is going to make all the decisions for you and you're going to be stuck with them. Yes. So now's the time for you to, you know, turn off the, the bad feelings yeah, as best on, you can guys. and be as reasonable as you can. So I try, to, I try to get a settlement proposal out the door pretty early in most cases because... Number one, let's see what we do agree on. Let's see if we can get a dialogue going. And number two, I just want my client to think settlement. That doesn't mean I'm not afraid. I'm, you know, going to courts. My, th that's what I do. You know, but you're always better off settling because mm -hmm. you get a say in the outcome. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay, my next question. I think there's an easy answer to this, um, but I'll let you answer it. But I had some concerns being raised about determining the child support and that they feel like their ex is not being honest about their income. So yep. do you just go straight to their employer? Yeah, that's yes. one thing we can do. Thinking. So one thing one thing we attorneys do is we're pretty good at digging up information. And and the, the really the the family law rules that that really govern all of this, the laws that govern all this require people to be upfront, but the reality is that some people just aren't. So what can we do? We can certainly subpoena employment records, and I do it all the time. And it usually makes the other party really ticked off. Oh, you're getting my employer involved. Well, maybe, but I don't care. I want to know, <laughs> yeah. know what your actual income is. 
You can subpoena bank records. Um, that's another way to sort of find out if income, you know, income information. Um, tax returns are another way. You can always kind of go back and look at what the historical earnings are. Um, in worst case scenarios, and this doesn't happen all that often, I've even gone to the to 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 the you know the lengths of hiring a private investigator to do asset searches. But here's the deal with child support, especially. Child support, the way that the guidelines work is that the judges are really only looking at what does a person make in a typical 40-hour work week. Now, you know, again, every case is a snowflake, right? Right. The easy cases are the ones where both parents are earning a wage at, a, at an employer and you look at their W-2 or you look at their most recent pay stub, and that's what the judges are going to use. The hard ones are the self-employed guys, and they're really hard. Emily's shaking her head because her husband's self-employed like I am. And, and you know, there's write-offs, some yeah. legit and some not. Mm -hmm. And so there can be big arguments over, you know, what, what, what is this person's true income? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you made $700,000 in your business last year, but somehow your income is only, you know, $95,000. Is that really true? I mean, come on. You know, it, doesn't, it just doesn't jive. So... I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, there are discovery ways. tools that can be used to go after financial information to figure that stuff out. And a follow-up question with that. So say years down the road, you're both remarried and your uh, new spouse makes a lot more money than you or your ex's new spouse makes money too. And your ex thinks, well, I shouldn't have to pay you so much child support because mm. your spouse makes all this money yeah. or whatever. Isn't it between the ex or, or you know, the, the child's birth parents? Yes. It's just between them. That's correct. Yeah. Ex, uh, new spouses or live-in boyfriend, girlfriends, significant others. I guess that's the PC way to say it these yes, days, right? Yes. Um, their income doesn't count. doesn't matter. So when you have that spouse that's coming back and saying, you know, you don't need my money, mm -hmm. the, the fact of the matter, it, it, it's, a, it's a misunderstanding of what child support is intended. You made that child with your ex. You're responsible for it. The reality is even if you've got the nicest, most loving new spouse – Emily's pointing to herself, and I know this to be true. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that you have to take care of your children. Yes. That's what the law says. And it doesn't matter. Your, 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 your new spouse's income does not come into play. So the sooner you can get that out of your head, um, probably the less aggravation you're going to have. <laughs> okay, wonderful, wonderful. This next question... <laughs> I don't I don't know how to answer it. It's what's the most ideal custody situation for children? Okay, so that I can that be answered, Mr. Snow every case is a snowflake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think that she was worried because she has very small children. Is there something uh, a common thought even with judges with the you know the mother as the nurturer especially when they're small more time should go to the mother or is it just 50 50 across the board what's arizona like Tough. you know like this is this is a common question with an answer that most women don't like to hear yeah <laughs> so i'm going to give you and the best way to answer this is to understand the law 
So I'm going to give you a little quick primer on Arizona law when it comes to custody. And, and to do that, let me just say really quickly, about six years ago, the legislature went back and rewrote the family law code. And one of the things they did is they, they really adjusted how judges are supposed to look at parenting time for parents. It was the case pre-2013 that moms did seem to get more time with the kids. And so a really common parenting plan back then was dad gets one overnight during the week and every other weekend. And that was that was almost across the board. And I don't know what happened in 2013 because I probably wasn't paying enough attention to my state legislature. But I do know that starting in 2013, we had this whole new family law code that now required judges to to go and adopt parenting plans that maximized both parents' time with the children. That's the language in the statute. And to adopt a parenting plan that's in the best interest of the children. Well, we we family law attorney says, okay, that's great, but what does maximize both parents' time with the children mean? It's not defined. It's just sort of this term in the statute that the judges are supposed to sort of interpret. Well, let me tell you how every single judge in town interprets that. 50-50. Unless, now here's the unless, <laughs> unless it doesn't make sense. Right. Right? So the, the parenting plan still has to be practical. And this is where the snowflake part of it comes in. If you and your ex-spouse live within 10 or 15 miles of each other and your work schedules are about the same, you're getting 50-50. I mean, unless one parent's just not fit. You know, if you if, the, if we've got an abusive parent or a drug addict, I mean, that's a different story, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if all things are equal, you got two fit parents and, and work schedules are about the same and you don't live too far apart, you're probably getting 50-50. And just, it's really hard to argue around that. Um, on the other hand, you know, uh, I've had cases where uh, someone moved to Glendale and ma, you know, let's say mom's living in Mesa or, or Gilbert. That's probably not practical to do 50-50 if you've got school age ki- kids. You right, know, you can't drive them back and forth every day. That's too much on them. And so, in a case like that, a judge would probably would do something like an every other weekend. But then, when summer comes around, here's where the other parent gets what I call makeup time. Right. So, right. so to answer your question, um, moms don't get the benefit of the doubt as the nurturers and the kids should be with them anymore in Arizona. They just don't. Newborns is the one exception. Mm-hmm. But usually by the time a newborn turns about a year or a year and a half, judges will start moving toward a 50-50 plan with the dads because there's just a strong belief in our state that dads should be equal parents. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest with you, Emily, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I mean, I, I know that's probably not a very popular thing for some of your your female <laughs> clients to hear. <laughs> And frankly, we all know, I'm going to admit this, the moms are way better parents. But I think that I think what they're trying to do is make sure dads are more involved. Yeah. And I think in general that's, that, that's good for society. But remember, going back to something I said earlier, if you and your spouse agree on something different from that, you can certainly They'll put something different it. in there. Yep. If you leave it up to the judge, most of the time you're going to get 50-50. But this is definitely one of those issues that you should consult an attorney about because you know, kind of with the snowflake analogy, you may have specific circumstances in your case that wouldn't make sense. Right. Like if your husband, ex-husband works graveyard shift and you've got right, kids under right. the age of five, how can he do 50-50? Right. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. Like I have a nursing mother who still nurses her mm-hmm. twins and they wake up at night 
And so overnights are very difficult. That's a good one to bring up. Let me touch on this one. Okay. Some judges are not as sympathetic to nursing as they used to be. Really? Now, like I said a minute ago, with newborns, they're usually pretty good up to a year. Yeah, it's past a year now. But I have some moms who come in and they're nursing at a year and a half or two years. And the judges will often say, well, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you you can't nurse. But what I am going to tell you is if you want, you want your child to continue to have breast milk, you better start pumping and providing your ex with breast milk so he can feed the child a bottle. That's what I assume. That's exactly what happens. So it's not, it's not something, and I have lots of clients. I've got a client right now, frankly, who's got a three-year-old. Oh. And, you know, I'm like, you're not going to win this argument. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, you're, yeah. if you're hell-bent on your child having breast milk at three, you better start providing it to your husband and hope that he's willing to feed it to her. <laughs> <laughs> For a year, you can get away with it, though. Right. Now, any idea about Utah? I'm just thinking of where it's a 50-50 there. Or... You know, I've got a pretty good friend who's a family law attorney up there, and I talk to him a lot. I don't. I want to be really careful about giving too much advice right, about right. Utah because I really don't know, know Utah law. I actually think Utah is a little bit more mom favorable okay. than Arizona is, but no. consult an attorney. Right. And California, I would uh, assume 50-50. Yeah. I mean, come on. California. So, You know, okay. California probably would, you know, tell you that you have to give the kid to the dad and the mom only gets to see him once a week. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding about that. No. <laughs> Who knows in California? Yeah, who knows? We think it's 50-50, but consult an attorney. I think that's accurate, though. Okay, so here is the big modification question. How easy is it or hard is it to modify an original decree if you feel like it's all messed up? Well, it depends on what the issue is. Okay. As I mentioned earlier, if you want to come back and um, modify something regarding property, it's usually pretty hard to do. Um, I mentioned spousal support. Right, that's a no. Well, if you waive it. But if you get spousal support, it, just like child support or parenting time or legal decision making, those issues are always modifiable as long as it's something that existed in the original decree. Does that make sense? Okay. So spousal support, you have to have it to modify it. Okay. But so. if you waive it, you can't come back and get it. Gotcha. Child support's different. And so is legal decision making and other kid-related issues. Those issues are always modified, modifiable so long as, and here's the law, so long as the person who's seeking to modify can show the judge that there's been a substantial and ongoing change of circumstances. So something has to have changed to require you know, the, this new change that you're asking for. And it's, especially when it relates to kids, it's got to be in their best interest. So the judge still has to go through and and uh, determine whether this change is, is something that's going to be good for the kids. So the question was how hard or easy is it to modify? It really depends on the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I have someone come in and say, I just don't like my parenting plan. I don't think it's working. Well, why not? Tell me why it's not working. Well, because he picks the kids up late once in a while. Well, how often? Well, you know, maybe two or three times a month. A judge probably is not going to to change that plan. A judge might say, hey, maybe you guys need to go take a co-parenting class or improve your communication yeah. or something like that. But if software. Yeah, exactly. You know, My Family Wizard or something like that. Right. You probably heard of those. Yes. But to, to radically change, you know, a parenting plan, 
in that circumstance, probably not. On the other hand, let's say dad decides to take a job that makes him move to Glendale, my example earlier. That might be a really good reason to, to, to change the parenting plan because now, now it's a 40-mile drive you know, between the houses. The kids are in school. This is where they've always gone to school. It's not going to be practical for us to keep doing 50-50. That would be probably a much better reason to go back and modify Support's always a really hot one because this one is, comes up all the time. And this is a tough one. Most decrees will have some language in it that says that the parties are supposed to exchange financial information either every 12 or 24 months. It's a really standard clause in most divorce decrees, oh, whether it's agreed upon. that sounds good. It, it's in there. Yeah. But here's the, here's the thing. you got to be willing to enforce it. Right. A lot of people have it in there and then they just ignore it. And then they get ticked off with their ex, and now I want to go modify. Yeah, 10 years down the road, right. and you're like, you're making different money. That's right. Yeah. But the reality is is that there's a provision in most decrees that allows you every, every 12 or 24 months to send your spouse an email or a text or call them up and say, hey, according to our decree, we're supposed to swap financial information, you know, just to kind of see where we're at. Yep. And, and it's right there. It's part of Remember, when your decree is signed by the judge, whether it's agreed upon or whether you go to trial, it's a court order. So you're looking at a court order that says you're supposed to do this every 12 or 24 months. It's up to you to sort of push that. And if they don't, then you can get an attorney involved who can send nasty letters and things like that. But you are you are allowed to look at their finances and vice versa and determine, okay, well, you know, when we were divorced, you were making 65. Now you're making 165. That's probably a substantial and ongoing change of circumstance that would allow you to go back and change child support. Right. Or in some cases, maybe even spousal support. Mm -hmm. So um, how hard or easy is it? Again, it kind of depends on what you're asking for and why. And would it involve the same costs as kind of like starting a divorce from scratch? Um, well, the filing fee is cheaper. Okay. <laughs> Modifying is cheaper in terms of what you have to pay the county. But I, I, I will tell you that I've had mo some modification cases that have become more expensive than the original divorce. And mm -hmm. let me tell you one that comes up all the time. And I actually think these are the hands-down hardest cases that I do as a family law attorney. I call them relocation cases. Yes. This is where one parent, for whatever reason, maybe it's a job offer, maybe it's I want to be around family, wants to move out of state. Arizona has really strict rules on what has to happen if one parent wants to relocate out of the state of Arizona, or even more than 100 miles within the state of Arizona with the children. So that's the rule, within 100 miles. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, you can actually, it's, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. There isn't a 100-mile radius that you can relocate with the kids. So I've actually had a couple of cases where they've, you know, wanted to move toward Tucson, and they made sure that it was like 97 miles away from the other parents. And that's okay, but here's where the problem comes up with that, is if you have joint decision-making... It doesn't give you the right to withdraw your kids from whatever school they're going to and putting them in a school in Tucson. So there's still problems with that even. Right. But relocation, I think, in general is a really tough, tough, tough situation because here's what happens at the end of the day. One parent's going to win and one parent's going to lose. Meaning that let's say a judge says, yes, I'm going to let you relocate to South Dakota you know, with your new spouse. What that means to the spouse who's still in Arizona is that my time may have just gone from equal parenting time to now I get to see my kids during the summer and during Christmas. Right. And that's a really crappy deal for that parent. 
-hmm. you know? And so why does that become more expensive? Because a lot of times those type of cases require us to get experts involved to tell the judges how might this impact the children? You know, is this in the best interest of the children? And so they can become, those type of cases can actually be more expensive than the original divorce. Mm -hmm. That's just one example. And and to be honest, um, sometimes people are just flat out unreasonable. Mm-hmm. And they're just willing mm-hmm. to fight like crazy. And they spend ridiculous money on us attorneys to go fight over these things. And I'll, I'll have private conversations with my clients and say, do you really want to keep spending? I mean, you know, this is great for me. This is mm-hmm. putting braces mm-hmm. on my kids' teeth. But I'm not advising you to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a bad position. It's costing you a lot of money. You're probably not going to be happy with what the judge does at the end of this. So that's why I kind of go back to be reasonable, Mm -hmm. even in modification. Have a good reason to modify. And again, if you do feel like you have a good reason to modify and you're wanting to go towards that, having the documentation. If you feel like your your ex-partner is not living up to their end of the deal, being able to prove that is totally key in modifying. Yep. Now, there's some really easy modification cases. Let me give you a couple examples that come up all the time. Uh, husband gets pulled over for a DUI. That's a pretty easy one. Yeah. Because we have really specific laws in Arizona that says if a parent gets convicted of of a drug or alcohol offense within 12 months, that it's in the best interest of the child for the other parent to have sole decision making yes. and primary custody. Okay. You know, so if you've got a spouse who's getting into substance abuse or drug problems or something like that, or they get thrown in jail. Those are easy. To, those are easy modification cases that probably won't cost you a ton, mm-hmm. depending on who you're, who's handling your case. That would be worse. But but the ones where I don't like the current parenting schedule, just because I just think it's weird and it's not working for my kids, you better have a really really good reason to explain to the judge why it's not working for your kids, or you better be able to agree with your ex on a new plan. Okay. Because you may be spending a lot of money and not be very happy. Okay. And I think one of the other things that you did ask me, or at least in the, the document you sent, does it sometimes cause the other parent, the other party to sort of counter-modify or do something like that? The answer mm-hmm. is yes. Yeah. And I'll tell you where this comes up a lot. I have a lot of dads who will just get sick and tired of whatever and they'll want to go back and modify the parenting plan. Most of the time because they realize the more time they have with the kids, the less they pay in child support. But they actually haven't been paying their child support. So they filed to modify because they, you know, oh, I want to see my kids more, but I really want my child support to be down. Mm-hmm. And the wife will come in and say, okay, well, number one, I don't agree with that change in the parenting plan. But since we're at it, you're $7,000 behind in child support, so why don't I file yeah. a petition to enforce so that I can drag you into court and have the judge review the riot act and force you to pay your child support? So it can absolutely be both parties firing at each other. Right, right. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. So this last question I have, and thank you so much for all these answers. I feel like I have learned so much, but this is a very, very specific one. So if you just briefly answer, what do you do if you're soon to be X and you're like in the middle of starting to file on things, files for bankruptcy? Yeah, that is a specific question. And, and there's probably not a really simple answer. In most cases, I'll tell you what I tell my clients to do. Assuming that their their lives are a financial mess anyway, I tell them you should file with them. Just and he, go with it. And here's why. <laughs> but here's why. 
in most cases, when you file bankruptcy, most of your debt is going to be dischargeable. Now, there are some debts that are never going to be dischargeable, like student loans are a common one, or if you owe the IRS a bunch of money, that doesn't go away. But here's the nice thing. If you both filed for bankruptcy and, and it's a joint bankruptcy, it wipes out things like credit card debt, in most cases medical bills, things like that. And so when – and it actually – prevent you from moving forward with your divorce by the way when you file for bankruptcy and i've had people file before and during um it puts the skids on on your divorce case because uh until your the 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 bankruptcy is resolved Mm -hmm. no other court can make any any decisions on finances that makes sense and that's one of the things that we have to do in a divorce right we have to deal with debt so if you file joint bankruptcy and get rid of most of your debt, guess what happens when your divorce starts back up? Mm-hmm. We don't have to deal with debt. Mm-hmm. We only have to deal with you know parenting time and support and things like that. So now that, that that's not a one you know one size fit all because you there are many cases where you know one spouse has really crappy credit and they just don't care. And that's the case right. here. She's but the very other spouse, worried she has good credit. Yeah. And, her and so in her case, it. it may not be a good idea to do that. So what does it mean at the end of the day? There's nothing you can do to prevent that spouse from filing for bankruptcy. And they're probably going to get a discharge on the community debts, which means that the creditors would have the opportunity, if they wanted to, to pursue the other spouse for all of the debt. But here's the but. You know, it's not that simple. She would probably have a claim against her ex in family court for his half of the debt. You can't escape the debt and leave it all hanging on your other spouse. Does that make sense? You you, you can get the yes. creditors off your back by filing bankruptcy, but you, you know because the the creditors aren't parties to the divorce, the divorce the divorce decree doesn't have any effect on them. You know, so you have the case right, where right, right. someone runs up credit card bills and then they go after the other spouse. So in this case, if he files bankruptcy and it gets discharged. Those creditors can't come after him. They can come after your client. But she would probably still have a remedy in family court to go and get reimbursement for his half, you know, in family court. Okay. So it's a tough one, and it's one of those that I would talk to both a bankruptcy attorney. I mean, if you have a spouse that's filing for bankruptcy, you ought to go talk to a bankruptcy attorney and find out, is that what I should be doing? But if you've got awesome credit, you know, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope that helps. Well, Kevin, I seriously feel like clapping right now. <laughs> it's just you and me in this room doing I, this podcast. I probably talk too long. I don't know how long these podcasts no, usually okay. are. No, it's okay. But I, I'm an attorney, right? It's a, I, I know. We <laughs> expected you to be long-winded. Exactly. No, but I really, really appreciate your time. I know how val- valuable your time is. And Kevin just got into a huge ski <laughs> accident, broke his leg, shattered everything. And on top of that, has a... A big law firm. So I appreciate you doing this. Oh, my for... pleasure. I'm glad, I'm glad to do this. And, and you know, let me just do a plug for you. I think what Emily <laughs> does is awesome. Like I mentioned this early on. I think there aren't enough people who go and get this kind of help when they're going through a divorce or even post-divorce. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a huge, huge, huge help to help get on with life. Because mm-hmm. once we're done, we, we usually don't see our clients again unless something bad goes on. Mm-hmm. you know, later on. And mm-hmm. so I always feel a little bit bad, like we're sort of leaving, you know, our clients in the rubble, but you mm-hmm. know, we, we do our job and we try to do it the best we can, but you need people like Emily to, to help you get back on your feet and, and move on with life. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> All right, everybody, make it a great day. Take care. Thank you so much for listening today. Come on over and visit me at CoachEmilySanchez.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, make it a great day.